Samir Wassan is an artist of great principle. A man who refuses to compromise his beliefs for a cheap joke. But tonight, he felt the rush of the limelight for the first time. Now, he'll have to decide what really matters to him when the laughter stops and how much he's willing to give to the Twilight Zone. Ah, nobody see I didn't see it it's coming. What a twist. Really. Let's start the show. Welcome to Cord Killers, the show about watching the stuff you love when you want, where you want, however you want. I'm Tom Merritt, and he, my friends, is Brian Brushwood, and don't tell him any different. Uh, yeah, but you know who you can tell different is our friend Andrew Zarian of the GFQ Network. Uh, guys from Queens, how are you, Andrew? Hey, hey, I'm glad I'm here. I'm feeling uh, great. I, I Actually, I'm having a great day, so this was a great way to end it. Oh, perfect. Uh, one of my favorite podcasts uh, to listen to and to be on, actually, so. Absolutely. Uh, thanks for having me. Hells yeah. So we listened to a little bit of uh, uh, if, if this episode gets taken down, it'll be because we showed too much of the takedown. <laughs> you won't zone. hear us explaining that it's because of Jordan Peele's The Twilight Zone. That's right. Uh, but but yeah. you watched this episode, right? Yeah. They put the first episode, uh, The Comedian, up for free on YouTube and on Amazon instant streaming. So you don't even need Prime to watch it on Amazon. Uh, it's. I think it's pretty good. Yeah. Uh, it's about Camille Nanjiani, who's like a floundering comedian and discovers he can really tear up the room if he uh, starts to talk about his personal life and then he finds out that the thing that he gives to the audience gets taken away from him. Uh, uh, oh, he no longer has a personal life because... Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's pretty nice and it, it's kind of slow there. It's an hour long, so it kind of lingers on itself. So I think if you want something really tight, it might not be what you're looking for, but I, I enjoyed it. Uh, I, a, I get the feeling that what I loved about the clip that we played is the thing that Brian possibly hates or maybe hate is too strong a word. But I love that Jordan Peele is doing a Rod Serling and just nailing it. Like yeah. that makes me smile because I love Jordan Peele and I loved Rod Serling and it's Jordan Peele being Jordan Peele, mm -hmm. but he's got the cadence and everything of Rod Serling. And that just makes me excited to want to watch this, but I get the feeling that that's not the the vibe you you were getting. I mean, uh, like like uh, when I heard about this, of all the stories, like nowhere on my list of things was I excited about was like, oh, and then they're gonna do the writing that ends with the stilted wedged in at the end, the Twilight Zone. Oh, I can't wait. <laughs> that wasn't the part that See, I was stoked I, about. I, I, that's not the way I feel about it. So I was like, yes, they're going to do the the cool Rod Serling thing that always like you kind of know it's coming, but it's always fun. Right. The Twilight Zone ending. So, yeah, just all a matter of what you what you think. I, I can't wait to watch this because the Adam Scott one, which is not the one that Bryce watched, uh, looks like it's exactly the same as the William Shatner one that takes place on a plane. But I can't imagine it's got I really hope it's not note for note or I'll yeah. be quickly in Brian's case. Well, th 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 there are hints that it can't be because I don't remember William Shatner needing to write down a conspiracy theory of how there's a guy on the wing. <laughs> like it, it seems like there's a hint that there's giant <laughs> other aspects to it. So maybe I hope maybe, so. I maybe hope they're playing so, yeah. in the same space, but doing something totally different. But yeah, they put they put up both episodes today on All Access. So if you have CBS All Access, both of those episodes are streaming now. And then I think there'll probably be eight more coming out once every week. So right on. Check that out. Yeah. Uh, shall we then move on to our primary target? Indeed we shall, sir. Want to look a little farther down the road. I know we're, you know, around a month away from Game of Thrones coming back. Uh, less than a month at this point. But... 
HBO has been feeding out the casting news for the Game of Thrones prequel. Uh, George R. R. Martin has referred to it as the Long Night, but they haven't settled on that. That could end up being the name. It might not be the name, but well, that's that's what I'm going to call it for now until they tell me otherwise. Uh, the Long Night will star Marquise Rodriguez uh, from When They See Us, John Sim, uh, who you might know from Life on Mars, the UK version, or Doctor Who or Strangers, uh, Richard McCabe, who was in the Philip K. Dick Electric Dreams series, John Heffernan uh, from Dracula, Dixie Egerix from The Secret Garden, and previously we've talked about the fact that they have cast Naomi Watts, Josh Whitehouse, Naomi Aki, Denise Goff, Jamie Campbell Bauer, Sheila Atim, Ivano Jeremiah, Georgia Henley, Alex Sharp, Toby Regbo, and Miranda Richardson. Uh, if you don't recall, The Long Night takes place during the descent from the golden age of heroes into the creation of the White Walkers uh, and the invasion. And they keep insisting, Brian, this is not the story we know. Uh, How are we feeling about it? I, 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 I feel generally good, but for all the wrong reasons. Like, uh, they're telling me a bunch of actors, maybe I've heard of three of them, and can't really name anything I saw any of them in. But then that's probably how I would have felt about, uh, you know, outside of Sean Bean, everybody in Game of Thrones, right? They, they hadn't become household names. This was what put them on the map. Uh, likewise, they're telling me whatever Game of Thrones is, don't expect that from this. I'm like... Good, because I didn't know to expect Game of Thrones from Game of Thrones. So so weirdly, the the more non-information it feels like I'm fed, the happier I get. I feel like, uh, yeah, they're pretty good at making this story. And the less it has to do with the current story, the happier I get. Because, and we made this analogy, I believe, last week. It sounds like it's more Knights of the Old Republic than than the, 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 the Star Wars prequels. I mean, also the conception, you know, you, you know, the how people are going to perceive this. Uh, it really depends on this season that's coming up. Right. If this season is a flop for whatever reason, which I don't think it'll be, uh, it, it may impact how people are going into this. The fact that it's a very different storyline. I, I like that, that it's not going to be exactly what we would expect from, like, let's say, you know, a, a typical prequel to uh, something like an eight season, you know, uh, amazing uh, product. I, I'm more concerned with if season eight fails, what happens beyond that? But in, in for my own personal opinion, I'm very excited for Game of Thrones because the Iron Throne, uh, the Iron Thorn, uh, Throne that they that they put six of them in the world is down the block from my house. Oh no, kidding! That's awesome. Yeah, it's literally down the block from my house. So I, I'm very much into this season you now. Found that one? Yeah, I did. <laughs> that one I found very easily. Uh, I, I, do you guys think that if? the success of this prequel relies on season eight success. I, number one, I feel like season eight's too big to fail. I, I just don't see how they could screw it up. Uh, or, or, or let me put it this way. It would be very extraordinary for them to screw it up. Uh, and if they did screw it up, then this almost guarantees success on this. Cause then the, the narrative becomes, Oh my God, did you not like the ending? Do you wish that somebody could do it right? Well, guess what? We're here. It's, it's the, the prequel. You know who you can't blame Game of Thrones on? Jane Goldman. Exactly. She's the one running the show for the long night. Uh, yeah, I think that's interesting because I actually think there's a big risk in the ending. Any show's ending is up for slings and arrows, right? Uh, people people generally don't like endings because they they have an imagination in mind of what they think it should be, and the writers rarely can please everybody with an ending. So 
if there is a backlash against Game of Thrones, it will be after the last episode. It'll be the way it ends, and people will be mad about the way it ends. I'm just calling that right now. There will be a large number of people mad about the way Game of Thrones ends. That said, I don't think that undermines that goodwill, like Brian said. It's too big to fail, especially because there'll be a couple of years in between the long night and the end of Game of Thrones, and mostly people will remember the seven or eight good seasons that they loved, not the way that it ended and they'll be willing to take a gamble on the long night. Yeah. And endings in particular have an unreal magnifying lens over them. Yeah. Like in the entire series, like by definition, if a story starts off really, really good, that's great. Almost certainly uh, a fraction of people are watching the beginning at the same time that are going to watch at the end. Like everybody's coming into game of Thrones at, at different times, but they're all going to be there at the exact time for the end. And uh, you know, like there, there are parts of it, you know, even when something lands, the ending, you, you could still be bugged by it. Uh, I know, um, you know, the ending of breaking bad. I like a lot more when I subscribe to Norm Macdonald's theory about it, uh, which, which was denied by the guy who actually made it. So uh, it wouldn't surprise me if people are going to be upset, but none of that stopped. That's actually a pretty good example. Even if you had a beef with how breaking bad ended, everybody tuned in for better call Saul. Good or point. certainly enough people did, right? So it's, it's it's you know carrying on the legacy quite well. I I do think that it's it's like you're threading the needle with an ending. I, I'm trying to work this out right now as I'm as I'm thinking about it. So you you don't get the forgiveness factor, right? Because if something happens in a particular episode you don't like, you're like, well, but maybe they'll work it out, or maybe the next episode will show me something new, or maybe what I'm expecting is wrong. The ending's the ending. You you get the ending and there's no next episode to fix it. Well, uh, and, and so every disappointment, like you said, Brian, gets magnified there. Yeah, and, uh, and I like that metaphor of threading a needle because you have to please not only the audience of today who might mm. want a certain thing, but you have to please the audience five, ten years from now. And you've got to stick that landing in a way that 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 makes people decades after it came out happy with how it ended because there are times you, that they do fan service and you're just like, you know, maybe at the time it felt great, but then, but then you look at it later, you're like, Ooh, that did not age well. And if you, if you go where everyone thinks it's going, everyone's disappointed because it ends exactly the way you think it's going. But if you go where it was unexpected, everyone's disappointed because it didn't end the way they expected. Right? Like it's really tricky to find that balance there. So listen, it's HBO. They could just go black and then let everybody decide what happens, right? <laughs> oh, you Isn't know what? That the best way to end a show. That's actually that's a pretty good example. That that's that's a pretty good example because at the time I remember that ending being reviled by the people in the moment. But mm. as time has gone by, people have enjoyed the thinking of like what does it mean and the breakdown. And then you know nowadays, uh, I, most people I talk to seem to think it was a pretty good ending to The Sopranos. Yeah, and 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 the, that is. <sighs> For some, for a company like HBO, I, I I imagine they just give Benioff Weiss free reign to end this however they want. But for for a, somebody like HBO, they benefit from a well an an ending that gets better with age because more people are going to then go back and watch it in the archives, which means they're more likely to keep spending their ten fifteen dollars a month on HBO because they're watching rewatching The Sopranos or watching it for the first time because a friend liked it. And they want another one of those in the library that they can point to. It's funny, as we're discussing this, uh, there's a number of characters that I thought 
had diplomatic immunity against getting killed, and all of a sudden I'm realizing none of them do. And if anything, if I'm HBO, I'm going to kill as many of the most beloved characters <laughs> as I possibly can to in the service of, of, of a great story that has a real ending. That's a really good point. Uh, you can't kill everyone. I you, think that's the only thing you can be sure of is they won't kill all the characters. Right. But which is exactly what they're going to do. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Can you imagine? Like, and everyone's dead. Yeah, welcome to Hamlet. Uh, only thing left. Yeah, the White Walkers win. And that's it. Yeah. That's the end. <laughs> that, that would be a bold decision. You know what else is a bold decision, Tom? To decide. Yeah, I do, Brian. To become. Oh, wait. Oh, you do? What is it? What is it? It's it's putting your money where your mouth is. Oh, uh, eating your wallet? I don't understand. Yeah, it's putting dollar bills in your mouth and chewing <laughs> them. <laughs> okay, uh, there are no wrong answers in brainstorming. Uh, what if instead of chewing on your money, uh -huh. you sent them to us? Like, I don't know, not a lot, just like a dollar per episode. Yes, and you can still chew it before you send it to us. Well, chew Please on don't. this, Tom. <laughs> you can go over to patreon.com slash cord killers, and then you can pledge a dollar an episode. And I'll tell you what, if we get 50 50, uh, if we get 20 new bosses, then we'll record a new introductory <laughs> Patreon video because that one is old. All right. So so where are we at right now? Well, we're at uh, uh, 1441 per episode. Uh, so uh, well, how many bosses, though? 1227. Uh, oh, oh, uh, 1327. Yeah, 1327. So we just need 20 new bosses if you've not if yet been a boss. If we are at 1347 next week, we will, uh, we will record a new video. Done. Done and done. Yeah. That's 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 a Patreon promise. This from is, us. You know this is really happening because Tom has added it to the doc. <laughs> uh, thank you to all of our fantastic bosses. You guys keep us loud, live, and independent, bringing you the news to cut the cord. And now we talk about how to watch. So there are people out there who use Crackle. Okay. <laughs> We, we know you're out there. Email us, cordkillers at gmail.com. They're called crackheads, uh, Tom. Well, so. <laughs> That's right. You hear about them all the time on the local news. Uh, Sony sold its Crackle streaming service to CSS Entertainment. CSS does not stand for Cascading Style Sheets. It stands for Chicken Soup for the Soul. The Chicken Soup for the Soul people now own Crackle. Uh, it is, in fact, a joint venture uh, called Crackle Plus. So Sony still has an interest in it. They still have a stake in it. CSS Entertainment, however, has the majority ownership. Sony will contribute the Crackle brand, the user base, and the ad rep business to the venture, as well as licensing Sony Pictures content and Crackle Original Series. And CSS will bring more than soup. It's existing ad-supporting streaming services, Popcorn Flicks, Popcorn Flicks Kids, Popcorn Flicks Comedy, Fright Picks, Espanol flicks and truly will be part of Crackle Plus. So not just Crackle, but all of these services that you probably haven't heard of. Crackle Plus now claims to have 10 million monthly active users and 26 million registered users. And uh, it will add Popcorn Flicks' numbers to that. I'll tell you what, I took a lap around Crackle for the first time in many a year. And it does look like something that would be from the folks who brought you Chicken Soup for the Soul. It, 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 it's it's like a half step above. Even before they owned it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, well, I mean, but but I mean, like the, the style of stuff, it's all it's all stuff that would be on your parents television over Thanksgiving, you know, and it's, uh, uh, you know, let's say aged material you know a bunch of uh i don't know stuff you'd watch with dad right? classic sure yeah. and 
also, this probably makes sense because Sony, they know they know this thing isn't going to, ah, oh, booty call, what a classic. Uh, they they know <laughs> that, that this thing is not going to take on Netflix and they don't have the interest or the management or 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 any of the resources to to try to push it to be so at least it goes in the hands of somebody who cares and they should care very very deeply because all of their middling uh, forgive me chicken soup fans uh, all of their middling other networks now get elevated because they're at least standing side by side by you know ghost rider and and, and diehard movies and stuff so I, I, this does weirdly feel like a win-win for everyone except for me um (laughs) (laughs) Uh, who who are the 10 million people that are subscribed to the service and i'm and i and i'm not i'm not mocking them i really want to know why (laughs) why and what made you subscribe to crackle so it's free what was the thing it's free because it's free yeah but that you have to know that. I don't think a lot of people even know that. Well, I, I knew it, man, before before it was an independent uh, show, after Pendulette was off CBS radio, but before he was an independent podcast with uh, Adam Carolla, and even before he joined Revision 3, he had a show on Crackle. Uh, uh, I want to say uh, Penn Says, I think is what it was, was back at the time. Uh, I looked for it. I couldn't find it uh, anywhere there, so I don't know where that went, but originally there were a couple of originals that 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 drew me into that ecosystem well comedians and cars getting coffee is usually the the most well-known crackle series which is now on netflix it moved to netflix but that was the one that if you had crackle that or if you used crackle that was probably why yeah Yeah. because it's interesting considering that it's a free service and it's available on almost every platform right uh you Mm -hmm. you, everybody knows the logo If, if you're into cord cutting or or you know, streaming media like that, you you know the logo. I just don't know anyone that ever has actively used it. I mean, other than you guys and and some people in the know, but I don't know any uh, normal people <laughs> that that actually use Crackle. Uh, and for a free service, that's actually astonishing to know. Normal people write us cordkillers at gmail.com if you use Crackle and let us know why. I, I kind of feel like it's somebody who says, you know what, I'm not picky. I don't have to have a particular movie or the latest movie or the latest shows. I just want to put on some 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 stuff. And, uh, and so Crackle's free. I installed it. It's got some decent names. I put on some stuff and I watch it. I, and I'll tell you what, there are plenty of people setting up their uh, their TCL televisions with the Roku built in. And they're like, I just want uh, something. Oh, yeah, I know that. Oh, word, look, Crackle. Ghost Rider. Yeah, yeah, I'll watch that. Right. So, exactly. Yeah. I and I this is what my, my wider point with this. I, I wonder as we we are starting, we're going to start to see the shakeout now, right? We're going to see the shakeout in types of streaming services, the, the sort of like, here's your live sports and news providers, and here's your library content providers. And obviously Netflix is going to survive. Prime Video is going to survive. What are these sub-channels going to have to do to survive? What niches do they serve? And this goes right to your question, Andrew, which is what is the audience that could make Crackle survive. It's not well, going to compete with Netflix. It's not going to be massively popular. But what is that niche, and how many of those niches will we have, and which services will fit them? You know where I think something like this could survive, and I was just thinking about just my own use, right? I saw that Die Hard is on there, mm. which is a amazing Christmas movie, as we all know. Of course. I, I rented it on iTunes because I couldn't find it on any service when I wanted to watch it around Christmas time. If I had Crackle installed, if it's inside the algorithm to kind of search within Crackle, 
that would be a way that I would use it, right? Yeah, if you, you, you beat me to the punch on this one because what I was going to say is is remember that when somebody goes to JustWatch.com and says I'm looking for this movie, Crackle is one of the one of the top top ten providers out there, so it's going to definitely show up, and and maybe it'll be next to Vudu or whatever. Uh, in which case you're gonna you're gonna say like, oh no, no, but I already have an account on that one, or it happens to be the first one. So it, it's going uh, basically Crackle is moving into where extended cable was 10 years ago, right? Yeah. A, lot, a lot of that really niche programming. Or or even those like free uh, UHF channels that, that show old TV shows and movies. Um, yeah, as a matter of fact, on Just Watch, Die Hard, it, the only place to watch it for free streaming right now is on Crackle. So in that case, like like that, that's going to bring some traffic in. And if you're one of those yeah. smaller parts of the network, then that's probably going to be a good thing. I, I I think Crackle, we'll see what they do with Crackle Plus now that they're bringing in Popcorn Flicks and all these others to beef up the catalog. But it could be the sort of independent competitor to Voodoo's free streaming platform, Amazon's free stream, all the free ad supported streaming platforms that have big movie collections are kind of targeting that person who's like, I just want to watch something. What do you have? And Crackle might do that because they have a bigger library combining CSS Entertainment's uh, license library with Sony. I mean, Sony Pictures, right? They they can feed that with some really big stuff. Yeah, I, I don't know that it's necessarily just because you don't care what's on. I think it might be taking advantage of the long tail. Like, uh, as we're looking mm -hmm. at these, these uh, current streaming offerings, I'm wondering how many of them, this is the only place to get it for free. Yeah, yeah. And and they'll they'll bring people in. That, I, I don't think it's an either or, right? It can be the, the layback user and the person who's like, I want to watch Ghost Rider. Where is it? Oh, it's on Crackle. Great. Right. I'll watch it. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about what to watch in Under Surveillance. It's not like this page. It's all about location. location. Under Surveillance. The final Pet Cemetery trailer is out. Pet Cemetery coming out April 5th at the end of this week. And it uh, looks creepy, like it should. Yeah, um, more importantly than looking creepy, because I think we expected that. But after, like, my concern is, I remember watching the first Pet Cemetery and, you know, reading the book or what have you. And they do a good job of throwing reviews up there that specifically say, whatever it is you think you know about this story will in no way take anything away from how amazing this movie is. Or at least that's the way they're positioning it, which at least speaks to, you know, my fear going into it. I, I I can't watch anything that harms animals, oh. even demonic possessed ones. What's funny is I thought you were going to say children. Uh, <laughs> no, I don't care but about no. children. I'm fine with that. Just those poor animals. They're possessed. It's not their fault. They're they're demons. <laughs> right on. I mean that that's totally fair. Uh, apparently the cat. I have an inside source who works for a particular movie rating organization. Uh, and the the inside scoop from her is that the cat is the star of this. Like the, that's what makes this movie. Is oh, is the there cat. anything unusual about the cat? Do they make sure to know, tell I us? I don't know any details. Okay. All Seven I've heard times. is apparently it's the cat. Okay. The cat is the thing. It's always the cat. <laughs> yeah. So there you go. And also, I thought the cat was a black cat on the poster, but the cat in the trailer is a tabby cat. So that confused me too. I guess there's more than one cat. In the world? Yes. <laughs> Certainly. Certainly so. Now I've you know today I learned there's more than one cat. All right, Netflix ordered three new Italian originals. Uh, Curone, a genre show with supernatural elements set in a northern Italian village, uh, series adaptation of the teen romance movie Three Steps Over Heaven, and an adaptation of a best-selling Italian novel Fedeltà, 
which translates as faithfulness about a Milanese couple in their 30s. Uh, I don't think that I expect any of the three of us to be particularly familiar with or excited about any of these three. I think it's just interesting how Netflix is really trying to take its locally sourced shows and market them worldwide, trying to figure out if they can make, they can make hits from multiple regions. Yeah, ultimately, it's going to come down just to the quality, right? If it's truly extraordinary stuff, I, I think that we are, as as a culture here in the United States, much more evolved than where we were 20 years ago, where we're much more ready to fall in love with a, a series that's either got dubs or subs in it than, than we were 20 years ago. I'm really into Melanie's uh, couples in their 30s. In their 30s, so that's, that's your this genre. Is right, this is right up my genre, my alley. Uh-huh. <laughs> Yeah, you know, if they were uh, if they were from uh, Rome, maybe, but huh, Milan. Yeah, yeah. Calabre, uh, okay, I'll I'll accept that. <laughs> uh, I I I have a question too, which I I just put to you two. Not that this is a representative sample. How much does reading subtitles dissuade you from watching a show? Because Netflix has said they want to do more of these international shows. They've also said they want to get better at dubs. One dub word. In local languages. Tom Merritt. Do you need that to happen? I got us? one word for you. Narcos. Narcos, one of the best things Netflix has ever done. Fully two-thirds of it. Not in English and no no dubbing. It's only subtitles. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's it. Well, you so, know so, what? You're absolutely right. Narcos, 100%. I, I actually I spoke to someone about the same exact conversation about how subtitles uh, disconnect some people. And uh, one of my friends, he's like, oh, you know what's funny? I never watched I never cared about it until I watched Downfall. And after that he was fine with reading subtitles. So I think it's it's if you find a movie that you like, you'll you know, you'll just jump back into it. Yeah. And uh, one of the things I mentioned years ago when we were watching Narcos was that weirdly the acting gets a, a automatic bonus when it's in a different language, because I can't tell the good the difference between good and bad acting in a <laughs> foreign language, but I can in my native language. Yeah, it's very done. Uh, I, I think it's a skill that that you pick up as a viewer and it's one that a lot of people don't want to pick up until they need to, right? Whether it's Narcos or Downfall or something else, we're like, well, I do want to watch this. Okay. And then it's not a hard skill to pick up. It's, you know, after 20 minutes or so you get in the the habit of it and, and you know where to put your eyes and, and how to make sense out of it at all. I wonder then if Netflix does dubbing, does that end up being less popular because people are like, you know what, I've learned how to deal with subtitles and I'd rather hear that than have the words not match the mouth. Well, and then adding another wrinkle is how uh, comfortable most of us are getting with the idea of closed captioning always being on. You know, that's something that was, of course, designed for the hearing impaired, but there it turns out there's a side benefit. Now it's on every time you go to a bar or whatever, they've got the mm-hmm. closed captioning on so you can enjoy it silent. And in fact, as you scroll through your Facebook feed, you know, entire videos are designed to not even really be listened to with any audio. I don't like English language shows to have subtitles on because I end up reading them. Well, I can't. It's just a personal thing. I cannot stop myself. It's great when the sounds off in a bar, like all those examples you said are fantastic. But if I can hear the audio and if subtitles are on in English, I end up reading the English I, along with them. And I'm like, ah, this is distracting. Me. I have had various levels of frustration on the same thing. In general, I don't I, I think the benefit of having no ambiguity about what I heard or what that meant or wait, did he say whatever? Like all of that goes away and you now know exactly. And specifically, you know, when something is significant enough and you're supposed to have heard it or noticed it, like especially as characters are running off screen and they get quieter and quieter and quieter. They keep telling you what they said on those subtitles. But yes, I do agree that some parts 
part of me thinks, I bet they want my eyes not on on the chest of of this model. <laughs> Those would be the words that are done. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, all right. Let's talk about what we've had our eyes on. Uh, Andrew, what's something you've been watching? I uh, I really got into the HBO documentary, The Case Against uh, Adnan Syed. Is, um, were you already a fan of Serial? I was not, and I didn't really get into Serial. I I tried, and it was it just it didn't connect with me when it initially launched. Uh, I did, however, get into this show. I mean, I think we're at the last week, right? I haven't seen the last episode, but uh, I went back and I started re-listening to Serial again. And I, I guess it was a different time. I, I, I wasn't really into the case or whatever. Now I'm back into serial, so I'm re-listening now to serial. Uh, I, I found it very interesting, and I, and I, and I think that this would be a very good uh, series for HBO to follow with doing stuff like this. I think it was shot well, um, as far as you know, guilt or or you're not guilty. I, I think HBO did a good job at kind of presenting it equally. I know that they. They're kind of a little bit biased, depend because they're going based on the serial series. Uh, I I enjoyed it, uh, and th- this would be a nice, you know, series for them to follow year after year. So my frustration with serial was after a strong start, it became too in its own butt about like, oh my god, hey, whoa, people yeah. asking me what I think. I'm just a journalist. I don't even know. I'm just poking around. Anyway, thanks for the five star reviews. Bye. Uh, it, it was it was really, um, I I was really disturbed by that part. Uh, d- does this solve that problem? Because the problem with serial is that it was all a big tease that yielded nothing, and they wouldn't they wouldn't make it an advocacy. They they, they maintained the veneer of fairness when they're when they shouldn't have because they clearly weren't. Uh, yeah. is, do they do any better on this project? I I think they did a little bit better, but it's still not a. I, I'll give you one example. In the in the in the first episode, uh, they do a very good job at pointing their finger at other people without saying it to kind of put it in the back of your mind, and they never follow up with it. Hmm. Like they they kind of they come up come up with like four or five excuses why it couldn't have been him, and then they just follow one path beyond that. So they kind of set the 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 doubt in your head really early, rather than you piecing it together as the story goes on. I, I didn't like that aspect, but I think as far as a documentary goes and following a case, it was shot well. Um, I looked at it more of an entertainment you know, uh, show rather than a full-fledged, honest documentary. I do think they tried to be a little bit more fair, but it, it's kind of difficult when you're following the blueprint of Serial. Sure. Sure, sure. Uh, well, true crime is hot. Right now, so I would expect to see more more like this. Uh, so if you're into that, uh, Andrew, it's, it sounds like you'll have other options even when this one wraps up. Oh yeah, it, it's it was it, I really enjoyed it. I, I recommend it to anybody that kind of liked the series or or they're into this. Brian, what about you, dude? Uh, usual stuff that we're going to talk about afterwards. I did go see the Dumbo. Did you see the Dumbo? I did not see the Dumbo. No, my uh, wife saw it in preview and told me I did not need to see the Dumbo. Yeah, I mean, well, she's wrong. Everybody, it's mandatory by law that everybody see Dumbo. Uh, <laughs> All right, I forgot who had it in the movie. <laughs> I mean, you don't have to enjoy it, and you don't even have to stay for the whole thing. But Just you do have to the buy ticket, a ticket. 
and I and I did go see Apollo 11 a second time, and it really held up a second You're time. Such it was, a better man than it's, me. I still haven't seen it. I mean, it's only an hour and a half long. It's just the right length. Like it's like going on a trip. But I spent most of the day yesterday a binging the new animated version of Trailer Park Boys. Ah, how's that? Uh it they handle some obvious stuff in a very non-obvious way. This is not a spoiler because it happens in the first 10 seconds of the first episode. Literally, the first thing they say is, uh, holy crap, we ate a pound of mushrooms and now we're so high that we think we're cartoons. And uh, and then the next 10 minutes is them testing the boundaries of what they can and can't do as cartoons. And then uh, they, uh, they they get to the end of the episode. They're like, oh, but we're still high. Next episode begins. They're like, it's been a week and we're still <laughs> so high. I don't understand. And then by the end of the second episode, they're like, well, what if we never get uh, stop being this way? And he's like, yeah, I don't know. It's fine. Seems like we're all st- <laughs> still the same people. That's the last they address any of it. And now that they're a cartoon, they're into much more madcap stuff. I am really enjoying it. Uh, it's it's interesting how much of that dynamic. Uh, so I, I, I'm very tuned into the word usage and what was edgy but fair game 10 years ago is seeming increasingly less fair game as uh, as as. American use of language has changed. It's really mm-hmm. it's it's fascinating to watch. But if you enjoyed Trailer Park Boys, congratulations! It's uh it's it's decent as as Bubbles would say. Uh, what I put in front of my eyes last night was the return of Barry to HBO. Uh, this is the the Bill Hader. Uh, fronted series. He's also an EP on it, and uh, Henry Winkler is in it as a, as an acting coach. Barry plays a an assassin who wants to stop being an assassin uh, and become an actor. And everything you liked about season one, Barry, is in this premiere, uh, including you know a despondent Harry Winkler, uh, a, a sort of overconfident in all the wrong ways with his acting, uh, Barry and his girlfriend. Uh, they're they're picking up from a cliffhanger-ish uh, ending to season one in an interesting way, which is to say that only Barry knows what actually happened, and everyone's telling Barry that he is denying what really happened, and that he needs to get you know he needs to uh, get with reality. That that's kind of an interesting thread to this. Uh, but I'm interested to see they they've planted a few seeds for where they're going to go with new plots. Uh, he was involved with some Chechens in season one, and they are carrying on that that connection. And at the end of season one, he was like, that's it. I'm not being an assassin. I'm just going to be an actor. And of course, immediately, as you might expect, they're trying to pull him back into the game. Uh, and in a compelling way that I, I think he sort of uh, made himself with, with, with being dismissive and inconsiderate, ended up uh, putting himself in a position where he'll have to do it. Uh, so, I, I don't know. I, I, I really like season one, and uh, it looks like season two is not letting down anything. I, I'm waiting for the thing that elevates it. I haven't seen that yet, but I'm hopeful. Is uh, As we're casting about for something to do week after week, uh, I know Barry's been on my to-binge-watch. If I were to get caught up with, with oh, everyone, yeah. we could watch I would definitely after... be into that. Okay. Uh, I'd be curious what you think of it, because in some ways, in a weird way, it reminds me of Counterpart even though they're not necessarily the same in any plot or genre way, there's just something about the amount of things revealed and the amount of things that you as a viewer know that you're waiting for other people to discover that I find similar. Okay. Right. On. So, so lots of, uh, lots of plates spinning that you, you mm-hmm. have to remember, Oh, I know this, but they don't know that. And this person is getting ready yeah. to figure out blah. It's also, I mean, it's a half hour show, which mean in HBO land, it ends up being about 40, 45 minutes, uh, usually, but it's a shorter watch. So cool. 
Excellent. All right, Bryce. What should we be on the lookout for? Hey, we got a pick from Carrie. Carrie writes, I just wanted to point out the new drama on ABC, A Million Little Things, which is on Hulu right now. It's a drama about a group of old friends dealing with a big loss. It's got a very heart-wrenching opening bit that is pretty shocking. It stars uh, uh, it stars Ron Livingston, you might know from Office Space, James Rohde from Psych, uh, and Romney Malco, our friend Romney Malco from Weeds nice. and Prison Logic. Uh, it's a very tough show to watch if you've ever dealt with things like cancer or depression, but it's very worth it. Uh, thanks, Casey. Did it, did anybody see this? I remember once when Romney was cast, a lot of a lot of our Night Attack fans, you know, made a hubbub about it. But has anybody actually gotten a chance uh, to see uh, it? Yet? No, but I know that that the critical accolades have been fantastic on it, mm -hmm. and I assume it's doing well enough that it's pulling him away from uh, being able to hang out with us. So on that grounds alone, <laughs> I'm against it. <laughs> so this is Romney Malco, who was on Court Gillers. Uh, Rom. Yes, also, yes, 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 yes. Also, yes. Oh, okay, that's where I know I'm from. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, 17 episodes of the first season of A Million Little Things is streaming now on Hulu and ABC. It aired on ABC. A second season has been ordered. Thank you. Excellent. To Carrie. That's great to know. All right, if you got something we should be on the lookout for, let us know. Email us cordkillers at gmail.com. Brian Brushwood. How you doing? Yo, I'm doing super good. Hey, listen, if you dig listening to us talk on Cord Killers, and if you have a friend who you want to tell about other projects, guess what is creeping up, getting dangerously close to 1 million subscribers? Like uh, the Modern Rogue. Head on over to youtube.com slash modern rogue. This last episode that we came out with, we uh, played around with signal mirrors, and we had uh, Jason on top of the Wizard Academy Tower. We had me three miles and change away, and we were are able to signal it is it is it i've is seen awesome. this view this is amazing it is so it, it is so wholesome uh i it's you know we bleep out all the curse words i'm hoping a bunch of 15 year olds watch it with their dads uh i'm really proud of the modern rogue and as we get closer to a million subs uh please tell all your friends come join us it's a lot of fun that's fantastic if if, if any show deserves a million subs Two million subs, three million subs. It's the modern rogue. You guys put your heart and soul into this, and it shows. It, it's such a good program. Forget that it's on YouTube. It's just good TV. Yeah, uh, so well, and I, I highly recommend. I, it. I don't know if we plugged the the Forbes article. Uh, uh, Meryl Barr, uh, columnist for Forbes, said uh, there was something that says it's time to talk about uh, the the modern rogue. And it's and I saw that in the beginning of of that headline. And I thought, well, nothing good comes after it's time to talk about. It says it's time to talk about the modern rogue. Dot dot dot. Uh, uh, television's best ongoing independent show. It was it was so amazing and flattering and it was it was totally rad excellent folks uh go check it out it's what's the what url uh, youtube.com slash modern rogue let's move on to the front lines front lines the standalone version of epics epics now is available for the roku and fire tv adding on to the previous availability on android and ios uh you might also know it was an add-on channel through roku's free service so it's kind of confusing like i thought it was already on roku it was available as an add-on now it's available as its own app uh it will be coming to the apple tv channels in may it costs 5.99 a month and will be the home of the original series pennyworth about batman's alfred that's and cool unexplored territory prequel 
story. What Alfred did as a war hero and spy. Uh, okay, I, I, I will give it a provisional excited about. Uh, meanwhile, last Thursday, sports-oriented streaming service Fubo TV revised its base plan prices $10 to $54.99 a month. Fubo Extra also rises $10 to $55 a month. It added AMC, Cartoon Network, CNN, TBS, and TNT over the last year. Mm, bummer. Yeah, <laughs> okay. so... Uh, I think we got the totals wrong in the writing of that, but both tiers are going to rise 10 bucks a month. That's the important part. Yeah. Like already 40 was a lot and I'm only getting it for some of the sports stuff. So I don't know. I, oh, you think, you think you're going to drop? I will probably drop it. I don't know though. The AF is almost done with the season. So we'll see. (laughs) Andrew, do you uh, subscribe to any sports packages? Uh, ESPN plus, uh, for the UFC stuff. Uh, and then I just have who, uh, YouTube TV. For everything else but i i think it's interesting that everybody's raising their price now i mean it's essentially everybody's up in that 50 dollar tier and they're getting dangerously close to cable pricing they're still well, comfortably below it it's still of good value but you could tell that that they had to seduce people to, about the idea of giving up their cable packages and now i think people are comfortable enough f- with that that people are realizing okay i do have some money to spend and now they're now they're having a battle of what is the best package for everybody well yeah. and here in the us anyway you're seeing penetration right youtube tv just announced that it is now available in all local markets you may not get all your broadcast channels but it's available in all local markets uh, and that's one of the under-discussed benefits of these services, which is it's not just that they're cable replacement, it's that they are now a competitor in every market. Don't forget, prior to this, you had one cable company per market and maybe Bright House or DirecTV and Dish TV, et cetera. Uh, but now you have essentially an unlimited number of competitors per market because they're all becoming national uh, services, Hulu Live, Sling TV, PlayStation View, YouTube TV, et cetera. Yep. Yeah, you, you know, it'd be nice. It'd be nice if I could have it on my Fire TV. Hmm. Uh, which one, Fubo or YouTube? YouTube TV. Uh, YouTube TV. I thought they. Oh no, not a Fire TV because they hate. Yeah, because yeah. Android. Yeah, and Amazon and Google are not on speaking terms right now. Uh, Discovery and BBC have signed a ten-year partnership to, among other things, develop a global streaming video on-demand service. If you're saying, well, wait a minute, didn't they have a video on demand, sir? BBC and Discovery ended their partnership six years ago, and they're back together again. Oh, congratulations. We knew you kids would work it out. The new deal is effective outside of the UK, Ireland, and China, and will make the streaming video on demand from Discovery service home to all BBC Natural History series. That includes Blue Planet, which is right now on BBC America. Discovery is expected to launch the service in 2020, and the two companies will also co-develop a bunch of originals around wildlife and natural history, et cetera. And since uh, Tom already mentioned that YouTube TV is now available in 210 markets all across the United States, we'll move on to Silicon Dust, which makes the HD Home Run connected TV tuners, will shut down its premium TV service over the next 30 days. Premium TV from HD Home Run costs $34 a month for 45 channels. Omniverse, One World Television, supplied the service and is being sued for copyright infringement. Omniverse was claiming a far-reaching license to redistribute satellite TV service over the Internet. We- uh, uh, translation, please, Your Honor. Uh, yeah. So HD Home Run hooked up with a service they thought was on solid legal footing to provide their live streaming uh, built into to their service. 
And uh, it wasn't <laughs> on as solid of a legal footing as they thought. They got Omniverse got sued. And so HD Home Run just is like, well, they, they're getting sued and shutting down their service. We can't do anything about it. Sorry, folks. Uh, it's shutting down over the next 30 days. Uh, I mean, I don't know. Any questions? Like, no. <laughs> there was, it turns out that it was exactly what it sounded like. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it sucks because the HD Home Run folks are are, are a really good crew. Uh, and people who use their their products are are DIYers who, who love the advantages and the cost savings they can get from using these devices themselves. And having a built-in live TV service was a really nice aspect. A lot of people who use HD Home Run use over the air anyway, but they could get some channels they couldn't get over the air this way. They can still get these channels from other apps and work it into their system. It's it's just not as convenient, that's all. Uh, according to Deadline, Parrot Analytics says that Netflix now controls 71% of the global streaming video on-demand market. Parrot also found that SVOD platforms have released 319 original series among them, that's more than the 147 released the year before. Netflix dominates the originals category, premiering 139 shows. The number one digital originals for 2018. All right, pay attention. Tell me what you think. Number one digital originals for 2018 were Chilling Adventures of Sabrina huh. and La Casa de Papel, each of which has the highest demand in 2018 in three out of the 10 markets surveyed. Star Trek Discovery and Stranger Things topped two markets each. So if you're like, wait a minute, Stranger Things was tops in my market. Well, yeah, you're one of those two. Uh, and DC Universe's Titans finished the year as the number two show overall in terms of demand, trailing only Chilling Adventures. Where is DC Universe's Titans? Uh, what platform It's is on it? DC Universe. DC the, Universe. The oh, service. Wow. Oh. That's remarkable. Now, these are it's all third-party numbers, It's available numbers, in right? other services in other markets, though, so I think that helps. Uh, right. Uh, wow. That uh, surprises all, all around. I mean, I, I, I'm i only somewhat—it's a bit of an eyebrow raise that uh, Sabrina uh, was you know, tied with number one. Would have thought Discovery and Stranger Things would have done bigger, but not surprised that—yeah, uh, uh, I don't well, know. Well, Stranger Things topped two markets. Correct. It's just Chilling Adventures topped three markets, so that's interesting. But uh, but but still, uh, it's it's a real testament to that whole strategy of finding a specific niche and own it. Uh, that's that's we're we're still in that Oklahoma land rush of of original content in a world where everybody gets a series. You run out and make sure that you are appealing to a very specific demographic. Yeah, and Tom, Andrew, are, what do you make of this? These are geographic. Uh, I, markets? I'm actually I'm actually very surprised oh. at at the fact that Sabrina is. So popular. I mean, I know that it's a popular series, but the fact that it's sitting uh, in a number one position, uh, and that DC Universe's Titans uh, is in a is in a is in a very good position, considering for especially like our market, it's not in uh, it's not on any any top streaming provider. So I find I find this very interesting to see. Yeah, and Star Trek Discovery, uh, by the way, is Netflix internationally. It's only CBS All Access in the U.S. and uh, I can't remember the service it's on in Canada. Uh, everywhere else it's Netflix. So, I mean, that helps, right? Because yeah. it gets pushed out uh, there and it doesn't have some of that trailing uh, anger of like, why are you putting it on a service I don't already subscribe to? I'm Now I'm mad at you because I don't want to pay for another service. Well, let's get to the dispatches from the front. Ah, Michael from Texas has responded to the call. Uh, Michael said, I was watching a video about how to connect a hard drive to an iPad. 
And as I was watching it, I seem to remember from several months ago, a subscriber to Cord Killers asking you guys if there is a way to stream movies from a hard drive to an iPad. I think this will do what that person was needing, if I'm remembering correctly what they needed. Uh, he's got a link to a YouTube video that around three minutes in starts getting to that particular point. Uh, and, and Bryce, I think you you dug this up. It's the RAV Power File Hub that's being demonstrated in this video, right? Uh, wasn't me. Oh yeah, as a matter of fact, he provided. He he did a follow up oh, email. Oh, he did that, and he okay. found the the uh, exact thing. Basically, this is uh, you throw in an SD card, you got your media on it. This thing uh, will stream it to your mobile device or your iPad. And so, uh, if you're looking, if you're going to be trapped in the woods and you got a bunch of movies, you want a way to see them. This is a good way to do it. Western Digital had something like this. I can't remember if the original writer had used the Western Digital or that, not. I remember that was that was a few months ago. Our recommendation was we were equally as mm. half remembering the Western Digital thing last time we talked about it. So this time we have okay. a tangible link. Uh, and then, meanwhile, I got an email from our boss, Rob, saying, Hi, Tom, Ryan, and Bryce. After years of listening to the Tom Merritt scale of movies, I have to ask, is the scale and a list of graded movies published anywhere recommendations from the cord killers crew tend to be spot on in my taste and i'd be interested as using the the merit grading scale as my digital sherpa to movies i may have missed in the past it occurs to me you don't use the scale very often on this show but uh, you, rather for brevity's sake that's what how you rate things on twitter yeah i in fact i used to have it pinned to the top of my twitter it's not there anymore but if you search back i don't know the past year somewhere you'll find it i think i've tweeted it more than once uh and I can use it on the show. I definitely have not out, uh, well, aggregated it. If for, somebody for, wants to for go the, back and aggregate it, that'd be great. Uh, Just uh, email us, cordkillers at gmail.com. For, uh, for the uninitiated uh, who, who are unfamiliar with it, how does the scale go? The scale goes uh, from top to bottom, mind-blowing, amazing, great, good, and below the line, fine, bad, awful, walked out. And, and how many movies in the last two years have you walked out on? I have not walked out on – I've only ever walked out on one movie. And it was? The Sister Act. Oh, really? <laughs> really? Yeah. Right on. Uh, that was before I created the scale, too, so I'm not even sure uh, uh, how that works. But I, Tur in fact, Turns out, I ironically, you gave it a fine. That <laughs> <laughs> was fine. I walked out and got Mongolian barbecue. I remember that book, too. Uh, quick thought about Apple TV Plus from Mike. He says, not only about Apple TV Plus, but buzzwords in general. I'm finding more and more that machine learning has become the go-to catchphrase to make something sound advanced. Apple using machine learning for the recommended section made me audibly groan. Isn't this just a fancy way of saying, we know what you watch and we'll send you more of the same. There's nothing fancy about that. Further, what's the main variable in that machine learning algorithm? I'd wager it's weighted heavily towards whatever new show Apple or Netflix or Hulu has dumped money into and need people to watch. I'm finding that I no longer view machine learning as a good thing. The desire to use it as the lipstick to dress up the pig of forced advertising has really soured the concept to me. Love the show, Mike. Uh, so now's a bad time to announce that all our content is <laughs> generated by... Price, <laughs> who is a robot, <laughs> who is a machine learning algorithm. Yeah, uh, I have some thoughts on this because I cover this regularly for DTNS, and I, I feel like Mike is a victim of what he's talking about, and it's making it hard for him to see the forest for the trees, and I totally get that. Uh, there are a lot of people who claim machine learning as a thing and aren't using it 
uh, or are improperly using it in a way that then gives you crappy recommendations or or, or crappy ML, uh, and and that waters it down. I can say, as someone who hosts Daily Tech News Show, Apple has credible machine learning. There are limits to what machine learning can do, but machine learning is a real thing. It's not just, hey, we saw a keyword that said Sabrina, and so we gave you a bunch of witch movies. Uh, actual machine learning is able to create faces from scratch, for instance. Like, it, it is a real thing. Whether Apple has a very good machine learning algorithm or not remains to be seen, uh, but they do have like real credible machine learning and artificial intelligence researchers working for them. So I hope they do. And if they do, it should be able to suggest things to you that you wouldn't have thought of on your own and also are things you would want to watch. And, and uh, that's kind of how you know whether it's working or if not. If it does its job correctly, you will find yourself trusting it so much that right. you will begin something that you are convinced you will absolutely hate, but like a good friend, by the time it's over, you'll be like, you know what, you were, you were right, you you get me. Because uh, there's a difference between machine learning and an algorithm, right? An algorithm takes a bunch of inputs and then spits out a result, which may or may not be very good. Machine learning is actually a much more sophisticated branch of computer science uh, that causes results that even the people who develop the machine learning algorithm sometimes cannot tell why it came to the result, but it works and, 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 and it works very well. Yeah. Uh, I, I actually, I was, I was looking into this when they use that term and because my hope is that they don't kind of do what YouTube does where you watch one conspiracy theory video and that's yes. it, it's over for you. And that's or, not machine learning. That's just an algorithm. That's an algorithm. Yeah. And it's not very accurate. Uh, Netflix as well. Netflix's algorithm. You watch one documentary on pot, for example, and now you just have the entire thing take over. Um, I, I kind of like to like my content curated in a different way. I don't like content, to, you know, that I'm only interested in presented to me in, in the way that these services do. Uh, I, I, I feel like the same way out. I feel the same way when I go to Reddit and I've mentioned this on other platforms. I, I, yep. I always go to, I go to Reddit and to see my personalized feed. And then I go to a incognito browser just cause I want, I want to know what the world is being shown. And, and there's all those stories yeah. that otherwise I would miss. Uh, same exact thing with me. I, I absolutely, I never curate my content on Reddit, especially because then I'm connect. I'm only in my bubble. And even with television, you know, I, I don't like to be in my bubble. I, I like to be taken out. Great example. I brought up cereal before. I would not have attempted this documentary based on my original idea of cereal, but I attempted and I kind of liked it. I, I, if, if it's only curated in the way that an algorithm is doing, I don't necessarily feel that it works for most people unless you only want to see what you want to see. Um, if it's machine learning, it, I would imagine that it would be a little bit more intelligent to kind of determine like, oh, well, Andrew likes this actor and Andrew likes this kind of genre, but sometimes he watches this. OK, let's present him with this show. I, I get I absolutely get why you are feeling uh, like, you know, throwing out machine learning is a cheat, Mike. I totally get that. Uh, and I I understand why you would be be skeptical of Apple using it, uh, but I'm hopeful that they are going to implement it in a better way. And it absolutely can do crazy things. If you haven't gone to thispersondoesnotexist.com, those are faces created from scratch. Yeah, as a, a machine learning algorithm. As a matter of fact, I believe this is the game we played last week on uh, Night Attack. We had real That's people right. and people manufactured by thispersondoesnotexist.com. Yeah. Harder than you think to it's, spot it's the fake. It's real good. Yeah. yeah. Nightattack.tv is where you can find that. Uh, so, hey, 
Tom, you remember last week we got a letter from Steve who wrote in a letter to Marvel Publishing, uh, right. suggesting yeah, yeah. a story for What If, and then found it later. He uh, followed up, uh, listening to our conversation about how we got on a bit of a side jag that I thought was really interesting about whether or not television is too long or too too much, or if there's too much t- TV. And we were talking about the idea of you know Reader's Digest versions, basically. And uh, uh, Steve writes, when he was a teen lad some 50 years ago, the typical paperback novel might come in at 150 or 200 pages. Anything 250 or higher was both a rarity and thought to be boring or slow. Today, not only have novels increased to 600 pages length frequently, but they appear as parts of six or eight or whatever part series. And in this time when we feel attention and time dwindle. So I think I think you are 100% spot on, Steve. I think that um, uh, as niches become more specific, the ability to fill them uh, uh, becomes more robust. And I think strangely branches off a new opportunity for condensed versions of all these things. Yeah, no, absolutely. And and the series thing in books definitely plays on the fact that once you get a, a, an audience in, they want to, they want to finish the series. They want to find out more. And so you have a built-in audience that will buy the next book and every new person that you can get into the tent uh, we'll then want to buy all the books. So that's why publishers love to do series. Yeah. Well, folks, we love having Andrew Zarian on the show. Andrew, thanks so much for joining us, man. And I love coming on every single time you guys ask me. I have to I have to always say yes. This is one of my favorite shows to listen to. And I absolutely adore both of you and the shows that you guys do. I, I say this every the last like four times I've been on with you guys. Uh, you guys are the reason why I quit my job. And re-inspired me to commit to full-time podcasting. And uh, I actually, on Night Attack two weeks ago, I told the story about how you and Sarah Lane uh, were the reason why I went and quit my job that day. So I, I thank you for that. Uh, I'm glad it's work. It's working for you, right? It's working. Yeah. No, That's I'm great. Busy. I'm, I'm, I'm. It's, it's, it's doing great right now for me. So uh, I, I. I, I Thank both of you. There is a bit of, of twisty tension. They're like, oh, I hope it works out good. <laughs> yes, or else. It's working just fine. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. GFQnetwork.com. The guys from Queens Network. Uh, what what show, if you wanted one of our fans to go give a try to, would you recommend? Uh, if you like technology, uh, which I assume a lot of you guys do, it would be What the Tech. I do it with Paul Therott. Uh He does a little bit of a different show where we just yell at each other majority of the time. But uh, – uh, Paul and I have been doing it for almost nine years now, and, uh, and uh, Matt Men is my pro wrestling podcast. Justin Robert Young has been a guest many, many times, and it's it's amazing how Matt Men has kind of uh, almost surpassed what the tech as far as popularity goes. This is my my career in my 30s is going to be pro wrestling when in my 20s it was technology. But these are the two shows that I, uh, I, I host personally, and then we have uh, weird stuff like a hair loss podcast called uh, The Ball Truth. Excellent, folks. Go check it out. Uh, And our website is cordkillers.com. Our email address is cordkillers at gmail.com. We're live on twitch.tv slash nightattack, which is also carried at diamondclub.tv. Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. We'll see you again next time. Hey, guys. Brian and Tom here, and it's just the same old message. At the end of the credits, just like always. That's right, Brian. Nothing new here except your name showing up. Oh my gosh! Because I've you got a just name. supported us on Patreon. Yeah, all those five dollar donors. Look at that. That's your name in pixels. We're gonna make you famous, kid. Put your There's name some in pixels on the internet. Classic names in there, but some of you are new. Some of you aren't there. It's sad. What can they do, Brian? I mean, they could go to Patreon.com/slash/CordKillers and pledge five dollars an episode to be one of these amazing people, like this be one. Amazing. Oh, look at look at that name right there. 
Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs>